mi gente, welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. This is your host, Natalie Sofia, and this community was born from the need to create a space for Peruvian immigrants to come together, to support each other, to learn from each other, and to document our stories. The stories our guests share with us are deeply personal and paint a new portrait of what it means to be a Peruvian immigrant. I hope you receive these stories with an open heart and an open mind. So let's get started. Welcome to Peruvian Sevilla Say, episode 88. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. It is a conversation with a really good friend of mine, Carolina. On this episode, we share our stories of how we quit our job and decided to travel the world. We share how our thought process behind it. We share how we finance our trips, uh, some mishaps that happen along the way, some insights. The audio is not great, but I do think that the stories are worth listening so I hope you listen with kindness because I know the audio is not great, but I think you will truly enjoy the stories. And as always, one way to help the podcast is to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. I will be selecting a review completed between November and December to award somebody some merch. So make sure to do that. All right. Enjoy the episode. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag Peruvians of USA. All right, here's our conversation. We have today a very close friend of mine who I met through couch surfing, which is something that I will ask her about and we will talk about in a bit. First, let's start with a little bit of an introduction. Carolina, do you want to tell us where you're from and what's your profession? Sure. So I'm originally from Peru. Uh, I moved to the States when I was 10 years old, and then I spent more than half of my life in Florida. I did agriculture and biological engineering, and um, after a very long eight years in a company, I decided to quit travel. So I know this sounds very formal, <laughs> the way we started this conversation, but I know Carolina for about almost 10 years. and. As I mentioned, we met through Couchsurfing. And the reason I wanted to interview you, Carolina, is because I do think you have a very unique story that will be really interesting to people. You have traveled to many, many countries. How many countries have you traveled to? Last time I counted, it's uh, 42. 42 countries. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so my first question to you is, did you always have that sense of travel or of adventure at a young age, from a young age? Yes, always. So I remember when I was seven years old, it's the first thought that came to mind. The first thing I wanted to do or be, when people would ask, what do you want to do when you grow up? The first thing that came to mind was anthropologist and then uh -huh. explorer. So I've always loved cultures and people and um, exploring discovery. I mean, that's something that I think I have with me since I was really, really young. So yes, I, I always wanted to. That's something that has been a passion since I was a child, for sure. And did that passion, was that something cultivated by your family or promoted uh, by your family? Or, or did you in inherit that from like mom or dad? Yeah, I mean, when we first moved here, when I was 10, we couldn't really afford to travel. So we did. We, our first big travel with my family was when we went to California on a road trip from Florida. 
And my mom was the one that promoted that. She also loves to travel and she did a lot of hitchhiking in Peru, something that was really unheard of back in those days. Or actually, no, it was more common, but not, um, not as safer than it was at this time. Um, but anyway, so she's the one that really started the idea of travel. So when we could afford it, when I was uh, 16, it was our first big, big trip. And we spent almost three weeks from going from Florida to California. And I remember the way back, it was such an incredible experience with the family and just enjoying the different scenery and just exploring that she told us, she told me and my brothers, you know, when you can afford it, when you are ready, try to travel at least once every year, somewhere you want to go. So I remember that was stuck with me. So when I started working and earned my money, finally, I made a promise to myself. And I said, you know, every year I'm going to try to go somewhere different and just explore. And yeah, that's what I've tried to commit to. So what was your first big trip abroad? Um, the first was actually with my mom, too. We went on a tour to Europe, two weeks, uh, which was good because I first time going abroad, um, I wasn't brave enough that I was young enough that I couldn't really do it on my own. But we ended up just taking a tour, just like five countries in Europe. And if I remember correctly, you also study abroad when you were in college. Was this, was the trip with your mom before or after studying abroad? No, with my mom, that was before. Oh, okay. Because uh, she, she wanted to go and she just bought the tickets. She's like, let's go, we're ready. And I'm like, okay. But then after that, I just loved Europe. So I did a study abroad for six weeks. And then the last two weeks, I just went backpacking for the first time. And so backpacking, especially for Latinas, <laughs> it's something that is not very common or wasn't very common, at least when I was in college too. And so how did you have that courage to say, like, I'm going to go backpack, I'm going to study abroad? And, and how did your family reacted to that decision that you wanted to backpack and study abroad in Europe? Oh, yeah, they were really excited. I mean, first of all, it wasn't that easy because I had to get into a program mm -hmm. to study abroad, and they were very competitive. Um, so I was blessed and lucky enough to be able to go with my really close friend. So that first time I went backpacking was with someone else, which was good and felt safer and just, you know, it was, it was better initially. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I really didn't have fear even then. I just was excited that I could travel and I could just be free and, and go. Uh, but my family was fine because they, they knew it was going to be with the university. And then uh, the next two weeks, since I was not by myself, they, they were okay with that too. And in Europe overall, especially Western Europe, it's considered safer for backpackers. And that's usually where a lot of people start. So, yeah. And traveling with our mothers is very special. I know I definitely... I think one of the things that I get out of traveling with my mom is really to see her more as a person, as a woman with her own dreams, her own fears. And in travel with my mom, it allows me to see her said, as a person. And how has traveling with your mom, because you have traveled with your mom a few, t a few more times, how has that experience shaped the relationship you have with her? Oh, it's definitely bonded us even more. I mean, my mom, I think she's very unusual <laughs> I think she's very very adventurous um she's the type of person that really uh I think the fearlessness that she has about 
traveling or being adventurous I got from her. And, um, you know, it's amazing. One of the trips that, that I think was even more incredible to see her in that, in that space was when we went to Africa because the U European trip, it was a tour. Um, we were going to major cities, um, very touristic, but comfortable because we stayed in hotels or hostels and it was, it was fine. But the trip to Africa was 21 days and we camped the whole time. So I don't know if she was going to be able to do it up for it, but she did. <laughs> she decided that, yeah, she wanted to go. And it was amazing because I saw her having to set tent, or I did most of the work, but <laughs> I had to do But she, she was okay to sleep in the floor. She was okay if we, didn't, we couldn't shower every day or we had to use you know, very, uh, like a hole in the ground for, for a toilet in the bathroom. I mean, she was fine with everything, all the inconvenience and just, you know, kind of hard situations you're put when you're camping in the heat and in the middle of Africa. But she, she was great. I mean, she was all for the experience more than everything else. She adapted so quickly, so well. So I think especially that trip really, really, really bonded us because it, it was so far away. It was a place that family were very concerned that we were going to go together. I mean, by myself, they said, okay, fine. If you want to do it, you can do it. But now you're taking your mom. So if something happens. That's like, <laughs> it's your fault. It's your fault. If something happens, mom, it's going to be your fault. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that before too. <laughs> yeah, no. No, it, I was scared. I was a little scared to take her, but she was up for it. So, I mean, I think. A lot of my inspiration or, or my courage, I think, to travel has been because she has that courage and she's fearless. And she's like, if she could, she probably would have done twice the amount of places and gone much more, you know, many other very unexplored locations that she would have wanted to, you know. But yeah, but it was great. It was great to share that because I think we, we have that story that is just ours and it's unique. And we always remember that. Yeah, that's that's very nice. I I twenty one days with one person. <laughs> so I think the most I've traveled with my mom has been about ten or so days, maybe two weeks. But speaking of um, traveling for a long time, you and I travel yes. <laughs> for about two months together. But before we jump into that, I actually wanted to ask you about couch surfing because that's uh -huh. how we met. Um, I guess, how did, what is couch surfing? Like, how would you define couch surfing? What has been your experience with couch surfing? Okay, so first, let me explain how it all happened. Uh, way, way, way back in the day when we used to have MySpace, uh, I randomly met somebody through there that um, traveled. They had all these pinpoints in the map, and his story was just incredible. He was from the States. Um, I forgot his name right now, actually, but uh, I emailed him because he had traveled so much and he was only about 25. So I asked him, how, how did you do that? You know, how were you able to cover so many countries at such a young age? So he told me, well, part of my experience was uh, by using this webpage called Couchsurfing. And basically, Couchsurfing is just a platform where people can put a profile like Facebook, um, but then they offer their services to hosts. And you don't have to host somebody in your home if you don't feel comfortable. You can also just um, join them for a tour in the city or give them advice about your area. So it's not just about hosting people. Um, but yeah, it's totally free. And you just get to see uh, what hospitality is in different parts of the world. So 
he told me about it and I went ahead and signed up. And then I started opening my home, <laughs> excuse me, to travelers. Um, and it was amazing. And I would get a lot of people from all over the world. And the first experiences were a little bit scary because I wasn't sure what I was doing. <laughs> Inviting people I had never had met in my life before. <laughs> and they were wanting to stay two days, three days a week, higher long. Right. Um, but then little by little, as I started to welcome to my home, um, it just feels so natural and you feel so open. And then it's almost like I just realized, you know, because we fear something, sometimes we, we stop doing certain things that really fulfill our lives. And that's, mm -hmm. honestly, Couchsurfing did that for me because when I started hosting people from around the world, like it wasn't just about hosting them, but it was about getting to know them, um, becoming friends with them. And then eventually people I met, like you, you know, we ended up meeting them and we ended up traveling together. So we ended up having a story, but also we became friends. And when I went to their countries, they also hosted me. Like I was a friend, a really good friend or even family. So I love couch surfing because it promotes genuine hospitality without any type of... Um, you know, money exchange or an obligation for somebody having to pay or give something back. All you're giving back is just friendship or gratitude. You know, somebody that's traveling wants to get hosted. That's literally what you get back. It's just that opportunity for somebody else to know you and you learn from them and just share that moment. So I met incredible, incredibly like generous, great people that when I went to their places, they hosted me back, you know, and, and they didn't have to, but mm -hmm. they just wanted we're grateful so yeah so I definitely understand uh I definitely relate to your story and in, in terms of like being introduced to um to couch surfing I was introduced uh by someone I met in college and he had traveled quite a bit in Southeast Asia and he told me about it but I know that the first person I hosted I like hit all the knives what's it all and because it was it was also a male it was and so uh -huh. I I wanted to get started I wanted to get started uh so you know I created my profile in couch surfing well to be honest my first real experience is when I went with a friend to um Spain Madrid and somebody hosted us hosted us there for a night and that is a story in itself and then I wanted to also similar to you host and I obviously wanted to host more women, but I think it's harder for men in general. So I remember hiding all the knives, <laughs> locking my door, just in case, because you never know. Like, it was always like, you never know. And I think people who might listen to this conversation is like, what? You have a stranger in your house? So how did you vent the people who were you who you were going to host? And how did you... I mean, did you experience that fear in the beginning? Like I did for my first host, you know, that was just once. And then it, it was fine after that. Like I hosted many more other people, but did you have that fear? And if you did, how did you overcome that? Or maybe you didn't, but then how did you vet people whether to host them or not? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would do is look at the profile. Of course, if they had, uh, had certain requirements that they couldn't have just one picture of themselves, <laughs> at least three, four, hopefully five or more. Uh, the references, you have to check the references. If you're overly uh, careful and you don't want to just base it on references, talk to the people that left that reference. 
or send them a message and say, you know, I'm trying to host this person. What do you think? Because sometimes encounter from people feel um, sometimes obligated uh, just to leave a nice reference, two line, three line, because the, because the person they hosted left something for them. So they just want to send something back. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be good people to host. And that's happened to me before. So I usually look at the references and I see if people pour their hearts out and they're saying something really nice and something more heartfelt, then definitely that was a good experience. But if it's like a two-liner, oh, they were nice and great and we had a good time. Uh, it could be like a red flag. <laughs> maybe they're just being mm -hmm. nice, but it's not somebody that maybe they felt too comfortable to leave a better reference. So that's the first thing I look at. And then they can't have less than maybe hopefully five good references. I've had, I've hosted some people that have barely one just to give them an opportunity. So it is a risk. It is a risk. You sometimes just have to have faith that things are going to be okay. <laughs> you have that person come to your door. Um, so the first times I hosted were mainly women because I just felt more comfortable at my house along with women right. and couples because, you know, couples, it's not, I mean, I felt safer that way. Uh, the few times that I did host men, I was scared. <laughs> I was behind the knives. I should have thought of that, but I did not. Okay. Um, but um, it was actually a one great experience. So I hosted these two German guys. They have really good references. Both of them have a separate page in Couchsurfing. And every time somebody came to my house, I try to do something to welcome them the nicest way possible, you know, just to make them feel comfortable. So when I opened the door, you know, smiling, very nice, come in, you know, welcome me. But they had no suitcases. They just were standing in front door with their hands in their pockets and they had nothing to come in with. So I was a little bit nervous because I'm thinking, why are they just standing here with nothing, not a backpack, nothing? And I asked them, you know, where's your bags? Oh, they're in the car. Um, so I'm like, well, you can bring them in. You can bring them in. And they told me, you know, it, they felt unpolite if they came in with their suitcases before getting to meet me first. So I was like, okay, that's fine. So they okay. came in, we're talking. Uh, but they were very cold. They were nervous, I guess. I was starting to get nervous because they were just very kind of distant. So a lot of thoughts came and I'm like, this is not a good situation. I probably, I'm not sure about them, what's going on. But that's the thing. It's like sometimes you fear thinking they might want to do something or they're coming with bad intentions. But when I got to know them after like day three, they told me that they were nervous actually for me, for them. Me and if they, thought, they didn't know like how it was going to be or how it was going to be staying with me. So they were fearful. I was fearful. And by the third day, I mean, we hugged like best friends. So again, it's, it, it is a risk, but at the same time, you have to trust that people in general are better than sometimes our fears, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I guess eventually just to share a story about how we met, I guess almost 10 years ago, I had been couch surfing maybe for a few years by that point and decided to look at people available and, and on couch surfing. And I see this Peruvian girl. This a couch surfer. And I was like, oh my God, I've never met another Peruvian girl that does couch surfing. Most of the time when I talk about couch surfing to Latinos, everybody thought I was weird. I'm not being safe. I'm going to a stranger's house. And so I read through your profile, saw your photos and reached out. And, you know, you were very, uh, you were very friendly over email and we exchanged, you know, dates and times uh, and, and it seemed to work out. And then when I arrived, 
This is Carolina. She said, welcome. Here are the keys to my house. I'll be back in three days. <laughs> and I was so shocked because um, the level of trust was like, here are the keys. I'm, I'm out. See you in three days. And so it was just hilarious because, um, you know, it was just a different level of trust. And so I, that's my side of the story. What's your side of the story? My <laughs> side of the story. See, Natalie was an exception because usually when I'm hosting, I'm usually there and I feel kind of bad, but I had, I, I even forget what I had to do. I think I had to go home and your grandma was in town. Or my grandma was in town. You remember better. And, uh, and I had to leave, so I couldn't stay. But then again, yeah, so your profile, so you reached out and I'm like, of course she can stay. She's proved, of course, you know, and they're like, you know, go ahead. So I didn't feel nothing bad about it. But now looking back, I'm like, I never really thought of your perspective of how it would be to give you the keys and just leave. Um, but I hope I made you feel comfortable right at the beginning, at least that you're at home. And um, yeah, I just had to go. But usually, usually I tend to stay and, and be present. But I guess even reading your profile too, I felt like, oh, I I'm not going to have an issue. Yeah. I thought I could trust you right away. I'm like, oh, she's going to be fine. So enjoy. <laughs> Yes. And, and I think it also like, um, and I think we said this in each other's like review and obviously we've maintained a friendship throughout this entire time, but like, it really did feel like meeting a kindred spirit, meeting like a long lost cousin, sister that I had somehow. And I just reconnected with her. It was like that easy, that, mm -hmm. you know, simple. And it was really interesting. And I'm really, really happy that we maintain you know, contact and we stayed in touch throughout all these years. And it's funny. And this is the beauty of couch surfing that you do get to meet those people and you're like, wow, you're like someone that I met in another life. And somehow, yeah. you know, I'm just meeting you again. Yes, exactly. You know, and that's, and again, it's, it's beautiful because it's unexpected. It, without something like this, but it never happened, you know, because you're right. in another state, another location. And so it's, it's a good, it's a great platform to just connect. People especially have similar interests in, you know, and the main ones travel. Right. Yes. Um, all right. So have you done much couch surfing recently? Um, let's say in the last year or so. No, unfortunately. I mean, I love to host. Uh, that's the main thing I use it for. 90%, I think, of my experience with couch surfing has been hosting. But unfortunately, where I'm living, um, it's just, I could, I could probably do it. I've just been extremely busy with my job. But I, right. I have it, yeah yeah and I don't know how much the culture of, I haven't done it either in the last few years you know going through business school for two years and then kind of starting again a new career now and just I haven't had the opportunity to but I don't know how much the culture of couch surfing it, it has changed I think when back a few years ago when we were when we met each other um it was very uh Mm. it was more about community, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's the case now. So that's why I wanted to see if you have kind of tried to do it again or if you received requests and what's your take on, on those requests from new people? Because we're one of the original ones. But uh, I think when we started, uh, I think I started in 2006. Okay. Lined up. It's been a while. But I know when it started, there's, I forget what year it became sort of, corporate i would say not really the right word maybe but um they the way 
they were designing couch surfing. Um, it's like, the, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've read reviews too that the community part of it was changing just how they redesigned the web page. Um, and certain certain things that you can start groups or end groups or badges or th different things that they would put on the page that kind of, I don't know, stimulated, motivated people to become even more active and ambassadors and all that. So it, it's it's been reformed and changed. Um, I mean, I haven't been on it, but I know it also depends on the city. I tried. I try to get on. I try to uh, go to meetings that people have thrown for couch surfing, but it really just depends of, on how active people are. Like in Florida, I remember it was it was quite active, and I even hosted a few events that you know a good amount of people showed up, and people were participating more because I think they had, I don't say freedom, but they had more opportunity to do more things with couch surfing. Um, I personally haven't witnessed it because I stopped for some time too. But what I do realize is that there's not the level of activity that it used to be. Because even when those changes happened with us in Florida, a lot of people were just not participating like they were. A lot of people were not joining groups or trying to connect like they used to. And, um, you know, mainly it's used for hosting. So people do look when they travel to kind of get a free place to, <laughs> to stay and meet somebody. Um, but there's more that you can do with couch surfing too. You know, like I said, you can host somebody without literally hosting them in your house and go out with them and share a coffee or tour a place or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's just, I think because of the changes, a lot of people are getting discouraged of even signing up for the webpage and they just don't, they're not as active. So I want to take you now to 2014. This season of Perunes of USA is brought to you by Ana Isabel Photography. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture your piece of history? Look no further. Ana Isabel specializes in everything from weddings to family portraits, and she's here to help you show up as your best self in every shot. She knows that having your photo taken can be nerve-wracking, but she is committed to making the experience seamless and stress-free for you. Her goal is to capture your essence in every photo and make you feel comfortable throughout the day. With her expert eye and attention to detail, she will freeze time together with you, creating beautiful images that you can revisit whenever you want to spark a memory. Whether you're looking for stunning wedding photos or timeless family portraits, Anna Isabel has the skills and expertise to bring your vision to life. In 2019, Anna captured beautiful photos of my family. It was the first time we had a professional family photo shoot. So why wait? Contact Anna at AnnaIsabelPhotography.com today to book your session and start creating memories that will last a lifetime. <laughs> uh, so, so we met in 2011 and we kept in touch throughout the years, you know, on and off just saying, hey, how are you? Hello. Uh, and then I know that in 2014, I was getting pretty burned out at work and I didn't know what the solution to feeling burnout. Uh, would be. And I remember being in an interesting place in my career and in my life. And then I get a call from you. <laughs> and what do you say to me, Carolina? You want to go travel the world with me? <laughs> and I'm quitting my job. Yes. Travel. <laughs> so Carolina calls me, you call me and you're like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to travel for a year. And you know, the interesting thing is that I I think that was the right solution at that moment. I knew that was the right solution to this feeling of burnout, but I had a lot of questions for myself. Um, you know, how does this work into the whole like career financial situation? But you having been brave enough and you were basically the catalyst for me to kind of take you up on that offer 
I want to ask you, how did you came to this conclusion? How did you make this decision that is very courageous? And I think a lot of people dream about quitting their jobs and taking time to travel and reboot and see other places, meet people, but they don't do it. Mm -hmm. And when I think of people who live an extraordinary life, I do think of you. And that is one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you. So tell me a bit about how your thought process behind that decision. Okay. Well, so let me give you a little background. Um, I had been at my job since I graduated college. So I was at this company for eight years. It was great. Um, I miss it. I mean, it was a great job. Um, I had gone to a certain level in the company that I don't think I could go any higher. Uh, I enjoyed working where I worked. Everything was fine. But I think, and then what I did while I worked there, um, I would travel every year. So I actually did a lot of solo traveling. Uh, every year I would go to a different country for two weeks, three weeks. Sometimes even a month. I got a whole month, which is amazing. Um, so I was already used to traveling um, for that one month or three weeks of the year. And I was very, um, I would say, addicted to travel. So I, I, I knew I had to do this every year. But in my company, I just uh, felt, because I was there eight years, a very long time, um, by year four or five, I started to feel like restless, you know. Um, the best way to describe it is like this flame inside of me that was like dim in year four, five. And then every year that passed, especially after coming from trap from going abroad, I just got bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and I just felt like, you know, there's something else I have to do. And it could have been because I was in the company for eight years. I mean, I wasn't quitting. Um, it maybe would have changed if I would have relocated or got to another job. But I just felt like I just needed to do something. And that's something I knew was just take off and travel, you know, like, like for a long period of time, not just like those three weeks, very rushed. And, you know, so I kept feeling this and feeling this and feeling this. So I remember, I mean, this is incredible, but I remember on January 1st of 2014, <laughs> I woke up and I mean, it came to me like this, vision it just popped in my head I woke up and the first thing I thought is this year I'm gonna quit my job <laughs> I want to leave and I'm gonna travel I'm gonna travel for as long as I can travel and I'm, this is it this is the year so it, it just it just came to me it became so like real and and I was like okay this is it you know so it was hard to make that decision because I had a stable job my family was all in Florida, like everything. I was living a very comfortable life. You know, I had my place. Um, I was financially independent. I was traveling every year and uh, going to conferences with my job. Like everything was fine, but I had this, this feeling inside of me I couldn't get rid of, you know? And I said, you know what? I have to do this now because if I don't do this, here goes another eight years or her long and I'm still going to be feeling this and I'm just going to be in the same place another X amount of years. So yeah, it just happened just like that, you know, and, and then I started planning it out and, um, and then I gave my job like three months because, you know, I feel bad. I mean, I also invested in my company and, uh, I felt like I had such a huge responsibility and I felt bad even quitting because I had been with this company for so long. I had a lot of responsibility, but to my surprise, and again, it's such a blessing, especially with my boss that when I told him I was leaving the company and I gave him three months to find my replacement, he actually was so supportive 
And he told me, you know, if you, if you really feel like doing this, and I told him, you know, I'm going to quit, I'm going to try. <laughs> and he's like, go for it, you know, do it. You know, if you really want to do something, do it. So it, it was a really great blessing. But I mean, I had fears, I had doubts. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> what, what am I going to do for eight months or whatever long? Uh, how are you going to leave this company? And then what's going to happen when you come back? Like, you know, trying to find another job and get resettled. But I guess it's just, um, I just followed this feeling and I, I just decided, I just made the decision. Really, it's as simple as that. I just said, I have to do this and I have to do this. And then it happened. So when did you share this decision with your family and what was their, their take on it? Oh, my God. So <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Um, I told them, no, I think I told them when I finally was ready to commit to it, which is basically when I put my resignation. So it was, I thought of it in January, like I already had it in my head. I'm like, this is going to happen. Um, and I planned it out that in June, I was going to quit beginning of June. So then by August, I was leaving. Right. So I told them around that time around June, I'm like, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And actually everybody, my mom was, she was happy because <laughs> She was fine. She said, oh, that's such a great experience. Um, I, I love your mom. I found one. Like, she was like, oh, this is great. Um, I think my brothers, because they're more protective, and especially my older brother, but I think he was more cautious. Like, what are you doing? What's going to happen? How are you going to support him? <laughs> he worried because he cared, you know, and that's really what it is. Um, so they were shocked, but then not just that I was quitting, but then they were shocked that I wanted to go alone and just go out for months abroad so that then I think the fear kicked in when I told them what my plans were not just quitting my job but I wanted to leave for some months and just like take off and start traveling they worried I mean everybody worried my mom was okay too but I think they were still a little bit concerned because I'm by myself you know in foreign countries and who knows what's going to happen yeah um so you mentioned, so, okay, so one of the worries that your older brother had was how are you going to support yourself? So I guess I want to talk a little bit about how did you financially plan for this, this decision? <laughs> yes. And that's part of the reason why I decided to quit later, right? Because I, I thought of it in January. I'm like, okay, let me give me some months to plan. Um, so every year that I traveled, I try to save, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the honest truth about how this came about and it might not be good for everybody but it worked for me um a lot of times I saved enough to travel during certain times for this trip I, I you know I had a goal like how much I wanted to save I know I knew it wasn't going to be enough so I did have to rely on, on credit cards I had to because it was such an extended trip that I couldn't have enough money saved up just to go and do this so a lot of this trip was that um and then while we were traveling, I thought, you know, I've never done this before. And I, I felt bad in a way, but I'm thinking, well, if somebody wants to help me and support me, why not? You know, I got really great family and friends. So how about I do a GoFundMe and let's see how this comes about. And I did. And I was shocked because I really didn't think family or friends were going to, you know, contribute that much. And I was okay, actually, because <clears throat> I, I kind of felt bad even posting or, or creating something like this. But it was really nice because I had a lot of support and people really helped me support part of the trip too with that. Um, and then what I tried to do is when I came back, I tried to bring them gifts or, you know, share my stories. And so that was really nice. Like a really great surprise to have people also help you that way. So that was one resource. 
uh, savings that I had throughout the year, previous years. And then a big amount was definitely also credit card, <clears throat> which again, it's not, I guess, recommended depending on how good you are at paying back, but it worked for me. So, yeah. But initially, so when you were planning this in January to quit in, in June, so initially you weren't thinking that you were going to do a GoFundMe. You weren't, it seems like my understanding is that you weren't also thinking about like relying heavily on, on credit cards. That kind of seemed from what yeah. I remember to yeah. come like later on. So <laughs> back in January of 2014, you, I guess, gave yourself time to save money up to June. Was was there any other, anything else that went into your financial planning for this trip before yeah. actually taking the trip? No. Well, I mean, I had, a, because I had traveled so much and I, I knew maybe what I could do to save money, which part of it was, uh, let's see if we can use couch surfing or let's see if mm -hmm. I can find the cheapest hotels that are like two, three dollars in Thailand. Great. You know, meals at like a dollar fifty or two. So I knew, I knew that the cost, especially in Asia, was going to be a lot cheaper. Um, so I had planned at least for the flight. That's one of the most expensive things for, for traveling. Uh, so I had a certain goal of where I need to reach that. And then the difference was going to be in credit cards. Mm -hmm. But what happened <laughs> was when we went to Australia and New Zealand, uh, the cost was more than I had. Astronomical. <laughs> yes. Yep. So... I think more than half, of, probably half of the savings that I expected to have last me longer went to New Zealand and Australia. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So when we were there, that's why I was like, I'm not going to survive because here goes all this money mm -hmm. that we're spending. And it, we were there a month, a whole month in Australia, a whole month in New Zealand. Right. So that's where I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe I can start asking family to help and see what happens, you know, but yeah. what they did for me was good, but it wasn't the bulk. You know, the bulk was the savings that I had. Right. And then the difference, because I wanted to extend my trip, was also having to put some. I mean, that's realistic. You have to put some on credit unless you are able to save that amount of money uh, for the trip, you know? So, yeah. So, so that was January 2014. And you reached out to me probably around April 2014. Mm -hmm. So what, why, how? I'm curious. I don't think I asked you that before. I don't know, because I know you like traveling to me. And then I, I just, I don't know. I just felt like you could possibly be a bit. <laughs> I was crazy enough to crazy. go with me. <laughs> yes, because, you know, not a lot of friends. And I have, you know, really great friends, but not a lot of people have this adventurous spirit. And I know you had it. So I was like, maybe, maybe. And, and, and honestly, when you travel, that's one thing. It's like, you really have to pick and choose who you're traveling with because yes. you know you really do because it can make or break your experience you know and and not just not just for that but it's just um well you know <laughs> that was very spontaneous <laughs> so you have to be able to uh, connect with someone that can flow with you and then you can also give back and flow with them too in their style right <laughs> you're exactly so yeah <laughs> so and thank god we're available and it's funny that um, we were able to travel so well together because after that point, like I met you when I did couch surfing at your place. And then the second time I saw you was in an airport in Australia. Yes. <laughs> so, so you also were taking a risk. I guess we both were taking a risk because we have never traveled together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess I'll share a little bit of my own experience with your um 
with your phone call. <laughs> so I had actually started a relationship in January 2014, and I get a call from um, Carolina saying, hey, I'm creating my job and traveling, come with me. And as I said earlier, I was, you know, feeling a little bit stuck or burned out at work. Um, and so I don't, I wasn't as brave enough as Carolina to quit my job and decide to go. But I did read um, some of the leave of absence policies for my company. And I realized that they had a three-month leave of absence unpaid. Um, and I was like, this is a great opportunity. I can, I can do this. I can take a three-month leave of absence and travel with Carolina. And, and maybe I can't do like her a year, but this is a good opportunity for me to also do something like, you know, just go out into the world and travel. And so I guess the reason I'm sharing is, is because like not everybody has the opportunity to quit and travel, but if you are able to, you know, read policies of your company, like they could have something like a leave of absence, unpaid mm -hmm. leave of absence, and it could be planned. Um, like you can plan it so that you save enough money to, to take advantage of it. And in my previous career, I was a consultant, as you know, Carolina. So mm -hmm. the good thing about that is that I had saved uh, miles and airlines mm -hmm. and hotel points. And actually, my ticket to Australia was 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah, because I had a lot of miles. And so I literally paid taxes or whatever the taxes were. It was like 50 bucks to Perth, Australia. Uh, so... For those that are in the consulting, you know, industry or career, uh, definitely save up those miles for like those big opportunities that can come up, such as like traveling for a couple of months. Um, all right. So then the Carolina, so you and I met in Perth, Australia. And as you said, we were there a month and then we were there. We were in New Zealand about a month and then we sort of split uh, mm -hmm. our trips. You went to Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to um, Thailand to see a friend that I have there. And then I went to South Africa and met up with the guy that I was actually <laughs> dating, um, which is that's a whole another podcast, another episode <laughs> of like how I had that conversation with him where I was like, I know we just met. I know we just started dating, but I'm leaving <laughs> to travel with my friend. Bye. Um, so that's something definitely that I would like to share, but, um, I guess I went back home after three months and started working again and you continue traveling for how much longer? Oh, I think total it was about seven months, seven um, months. Yeah. Yeah. About seven months. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what countries did you hit in all those seven months? So we started Australia, then New Zealand, uh, then I went to Bali, and then Thailand, uh, Laos, Cambodia. Then I flew over to Spain to meet with my family, and then Morocco. Uh, and then I went to Belgium real quick, very short trip, and then back to the States. Wow. And so of all those countries, I know this is a very... It could be a very difficult question. Um, what has been your, one, what is your favorite country of all those countries? And my second question is, what has been one of your favorite memories of all those, from all those seven months? Oh, wow. Um, 
Oh God, every country is very unique. It is hard because every country has just this, you know, the wonder to it, right? It, it's very unique to the culture and the place and the landscape. Um, but I think the country, well, I guess it's two of them. Morocco, number one, because I've always had this attraction to Morocco and I always felt like in my past life, maybe I was from Morocco. So <laughs> I feel very connected. And the minute I landed in Casablanca, like I, I felt like I was home. Oh, wow. So it was a very surreal experience. And I really, throughout the whole trip in Morocco, I felt like part of the country. Like I was, you know, this was my culture too. So that, that country was just amazing. It was such a great experience. And then the other one, um, I love Bali too. So Bali actually could have been three. But I would say Cambodia because what I saw in Cambodia as far as, um, you know, a lot of issues that they had. It was just very shocking, uh, just what people are still going through after a lot of like uh, after the Khmer regime and all, all all the aftermath during that time period in history in Cambodia and what people are still struggling with when it comes to like amputated limbs or poverty or illness. And I mean, and it was it was shocking to me. So it's such a beautiful country, but it has a lot of still social issues that they need to resolve. So it was like a big contrast between a country that I feel so connected and is stable. And Morocco is very developed, actually, and very, it's a wonderful country to travel. And then Cambodia just hit a different area. Like it, it just felt very, like, sad and, you know, about what their situation was. Um, so yeah, those two, I just, I just have this connection in a different way. And then the best experience, I mean, it's hard because there's so many, <laughs> so many great, amazing experiences. But I think what I took, what I loved about everywhere that I went, and that's something I'm always going to remember, is that I was traveling alone after, you know, I separated from you. But I really was never alone because everywhere I ended up, I met somebody. And then they became part of that journey at that moment, you know. It could have been a week or three days or whatever. So I think out of everything I've done with the travel what I've taken, like the best experience has been meeting people that also became good friends, you know, and, and we've shared that experience for a very short time or a little bit longer, like three weeks. And then they left, you know, and they went another direction and I went another direction Then you would meet somebody else again. So, yeah. Um, how about this? I just thought of this. So like you went to multiple countries and I guess I went to as what, uh, not necessarily what's the most memorable experience, but I guess what comes to mind when you think of that country and, and your times traveling there during those seven months. So you're going to have to help me out with the list because, okay. <laughs> okay, so let's start with Australia. What do you remember? What cut jumps yeah. into your memory or most fun, most memorable, funniest or whatever in, from Australia? <laughs> Two. <laughs> A kangaroo that ran into my car. <laughs> yeah. We, or we ran over a kangaroo. Wait, who was? No, no, no. We ran over the kangaroo. The kangaroo ran into us. True. Wait, who was driving? I was driving. You were driving. Can you, can you share a little bit why yes. that happened? So um, a really good friend of ours told us not to drive at night in Australia. During that area, it was uh, south of Perth. Um, Oh my God, help me with what, what place was it? Martha? Yeah. I forget the, 
the city or the town we were south of Perth. But anyways, we were in the woods. And when we decided to take this trip, our friend told us, don't drive <laughs> after sundown. But I never remember him saying why. He just yeah. said, nobody sure. told us why. <laughs> nobody told us why. They just said, make sure you don't come out of your, you know, you don't drive and you just stay in after dark. So I thought it was kind of strange, but we still, you know, did our trip and on our way. We don't listen. <laughs> on our way back, we were late. We were running late because we we're like, oh my God, you know, starting too late. The sun started to set and we need to get back, you know. So we tried to hurry up. And we were going through the woods. And I, I remember if anybody has seen the movie uh I Legend, right? Is that the one with Will Smith? Yeah. yeah. Or I Am Legend. I am um, legend. Yeah. I am legend. So when <laughs> the sun set, some creatures come out. <laughs> Exactly how it was. We were driving, and then it got dark, and all of a sudden, you saw this thing, like, you know, coming by in front of you. Like, what was that? What was that? It's like a shadow or something super fast. And then finally, I saw, I saw, I saw the kangaroo actually. It was coming, but by the time I tried to hit the brakes and like stop, it hit the back of the passenger seat. Yeah. So yeah, and you saw, you saw the rest. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a footprint on the door. <laughs> we thought we had like killed it, but we looked back. I think we even stopped and like looked back and there was nothing there. So he clearly survived. Yeah. Okay. Um, but what did we do to avoid hitting a kangaroo after that? I think we went like 10 miles an hour. I don't <laughs> Yes. We drove like 10 miles an hour and we were honking the entire time to kind of alert them of our presence and saying, get out of the way. <laughs> But we saw somebody, remember the truck that actually ran into them? There was a truck going really fast. Oh, true. And then they ended up hitting it. And I think they did it on purpose, but it was a pickup truck. So. Yeah, that's true. All right, that's so you, that was your first one. What's your second one of Australia? Uludu. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, walking around the whole um, Ayers Rock. At noon? <laughs> Besides the fact that it was like midday and we had no water, but it was... <laughs> What is Uluru for those that don't know? So it's a sacred, it's a, I mean, some people, it's a more, most iconic, uh, big rock in the middle of Australia, red rock. It's huge. Um, I think it's like three kilometers around, right? Is that how much it was? I think so. So it's considered like a sacred place for um, Aborigines in Australia. And uh, it's very visited, but you can't take pictures of certain areas and, um, yeah, I mean, mainly, mainly was that. And I don't know, what was your experience? So interestingly enough, when, um, you know, when Carolina and I were trying to plan this trip, I remember you mentioning Uluru, Airs Rock, and me being like, why are we going to the middle of Australia <laughs> to look at a rock? <laughs> um, and that was, uh, that was one of the most memorable moments, actually, of the trip. Because that we got to drive to go see the sunrise um, in one of the the national parks, um, and the it's, it feels like you're on a different planet in a way. It, the terrain is different, uh, and I loved it so much that uh, one of my good friends from business school took a trip to Australia, and I recommended that she goes there, and she actually ended up going there, and she enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's move on to New Zealand. Oh my God, New Zealand. Oh, wow. Um, New Zealand, I think. Oh, oh my God, Natalie, you're going to have to help me because I forget. <laughs> oh, we took that boat ride to. Uh, 
uh, what is that called? Uh, that bull ride where we saw the mountains in the um, Jesus. Mil Milford Sound. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Milford Sound. Oh my God, that was one of the best experiences. I mean, New Zealand is just majestic. I mean, that's just like the perfect word for New Zealand. The landscape it's surreal, beautiful. I mean, at any time in the day, I think it's just like magical. The mountains and the landscapes with the lakes. I mean, it was beautiful. So. That one was really, really special. And then when we went, um, was it parasailing? <laughs> that's actually oh, in Queens, <laughs> Queens, Queensland, Queens. Yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah. That Queens was a right? memorable experience. <laughs> so actually that one, I'm going to add one more. The one when we went to Kaikoura, when we did a uh, dolphin, like uh, swimming with uh, the dolphins. Oh yeah, we did yeah, swim with right. the dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was uh, Habitin when we went to uh, oh, Matamata. Uh huh. Yes. So I remember telling you that I wanted to go to Habitin's studio set, Matamata, in the town of Matamata. And you saying, like, oh, I don't care for, <laughs> I don't care for the Habit or, you know, Lord of the Rings. Not that I'm a big fan, but I just knew that it was going to be beautiful from what I read or have done research and it seemed to be like that you enjoyed it and that you actually liked it a lot too oh my god it was like a I mean it's the original place where they filmed the movie right they just left right me. so yeah. it was it was nice and remember I mean what I remember more tour is that a lot of people the guide was you had to follow a guide but I think we had our own itinerary so <laughs> we, we actually kind of stayed a bit behind the group so we <laughs> take good pictures yes Go inside of one of the houses. I mean, it was actually really, it was nice to be able to do it on your own and follow the guy. Yes. But it was amazing. That place, yeah, it was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also what I remember is that, you know, you um, you basically uh, were the person who suggested we take the Kiwi experience, the bus. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, because originally we were thinking about driving, like renting mm -hmm. a car or even buying a car and mm -hmm. driving. So, yeah. And... Mm -hmm. I am really glad we didn't drive, mm -hmm. but because we would have stopped everywhere and taken photos and videos everywhere and not seen the country. Mm -hmm. And so having, having to keep up with like a bus itinerary, I think made us see a lot more than most people see or as much as we could see in a month. Um, mm -hmm. Because otherwise, I think we would have just like barely covered the North Island. Yeah. And, and we would have been exhausted because we have to drive and try to enjoy it at the same time. So if I think we wouldn't have been able to see as much as we did and would have been really tired the whole trip. So, yeah, it was great. And we met a lot of good people, too, in the bus. So Oh, yeah, I remember. Mm -hmm. All right. So then we parted ways and you went to Bali. Memorable mm -hmm. experience in Bali. Oh, my God. Ubud. I highly recommend Ubud. Um, I don't know. There's an energy in Bali that I don't know how to describe it, but it's just a, it's, it was such a different place that I had ever been in my life because I had never been to a predominantly like Hindu culture or, you know, outside from what people might think like India or places like that in Bali, you know, there, people might not know this, but they have like three main religions. The main one's Islam, but Bali is definitely Hindu and then you have uh, Buddhism and some other places where Again, they just have some temples, but they actually practice this in Bali. And I don't know, the energy there was just amazing. Um, so Ubud was definitely one place that I highly recommend. And it's a place where I just got to relax. 
enjoy the music, uh, the food, the, the tropical atmosphere of the island. I mean, it was surreal. And Gili Island. So I went there because a lot of people have recommended. Uh, but what was the best thing about Gili is that I already was some um, certified, but they I got my advanced certification there. And I was supposed to be there maybe three days. I ended up staying like an entire week. And the diving was just like out of this world. I mean, it was, I went to different areas to, to dive, but it was incredible. So highly recommend Bali and then visiting the islands too. It was amazing. And didn't you meet that you prayed love? Just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de Un Peruano es Otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de Una Peruana es Otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. good too. <laughs> That I, the reason I remember is because I literally just uh, watched Eat, Pray, Love again on Netflix. <laughs> yes. I got lucky with him because I heard um, after the movie, he got super famous. So a lot of people just went to, to see him, you know? And I got very lucky. Like, I, I found a guy that took me to see him, and he hardly had nobody. He had, like, one person he was healing and helping. And then and then I got to meet him, which is amazing. <laughs> Um, such a sweet man. I mean, he was so funny. Uh, he spoke a little bit, like he spoke okay English. So sometimes it was hard to communicate with him. Mm-hmm. Kept repeating a lot of things, which is fun. <laughs> but <laughs> it was such an amazing experience to sit with him and kind of him, you know, heal me and tell me some things. And just that moment with him, it was just like, you know, it was great because I love that movie too. So yeah, I got lucky. And then the guy told me that um, other times that he's taking people to see him. The lines were like 45 minutes. Wow. An hour to just meet with him for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah, that was nice. So after Bali, you went to Laos? No, I went to, uh, I actually went to Phuket. And then I went from there where we were way north in Thailand. Okay. So tell me about Phuket. Awful. I do not. (laughs) Wow. No, because uh, Phuket, it depends where you go. Like, you have to go away from the touristic areas. And I didn't know that. Uh, so when I landed there, I, oh, God, it was just too many clubs. The scene was like a very party scene where I stayed. And I, I didn't really enjoy it. I've heard other people that went to just kind of more remote areas outside of Phuket that they liked it better. So I didn't know. I mean, actually, this part of my trip, too, like with you, we planned it. You know, we kind of planned, OK, where are we going to do? Where are we going to be? And all that. Uh, when we split ways, I just randomly decided <laughs> And then I figured the next best, closest place could be Thailand. So I really didn't do my research. I just went and I just kind of went with it. And, and as I traveled, I would figure out, you know, where, where to go next. Um, so, yeah, Phuket was not that great. But then moving, um, you know, going to the other islands, like Phi Island was good. Uh, Bangkok is a different experience. Like moving more north, I think I liked it better because Thailand has a lot of culture. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then also there's a lot of places outside of the more touristic areas that I recommend like to get lost or to talk to locals and they will send you that way. And I did a lot of that in Thailand, uh, especially in Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. Chiang Mai is very far north. A lot of people go there. 
But then there's the smaller towns like Pai. It's a town that um, there's it's still touristic. Okay, it is still touristic, but not too not as much as like Bangkok or Chiang Mai. And then if you go off into the country, it's so beautiful. And a lot of people don't do it maybe because maybe they don't feel safe or they don't know about it. Um, so with Thailand, what I like is that there's a lot of like kind of like far out places that are not touristic. And if you start exploring that, it's just like amazing, you know, because you really get to see the culture and the country for what it is and not just what you see in the big cities, you know. So Right. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then after that, I think it was Laos. Um, yeah. So after that, um, is, is a- that where the dog bit you? <laughs> huh? Is that where the dog bit you? Oh, Cambodia. Oh, uh, that's Cambodia. <laughs> okay. So tell us about both. Okay. So Laos, um, I went on the Mekong River, which is, um, I mean, I highly recommend that. That's like two days that you are in this river and this like long, like raft, uh, with maybe 50 people plus. And you travel the Mekong like all day and you stay, you um, stay in like a hotel or something at night and then you get back on the boat and just keep traveling. So we ended up in Laos and then on the boat ride, which is great. This is why I think out of all the trips and it was just an amazing to meet people because on the boat ride, I met a really amazing lady that had traveled there before, but she was actually going to meet a Buddhist monk that she had met six years ago. And she invited me to go with her because he had invited her to come to his home with his family. Mm. And she was maybe 41. He was about 28, but he had stopped. Uh, he wasn't a monk at that point anymore. His father had passed away, so he had to move back home with his mom and sisters and take care of them. But they remained friends for about six years, and she was going back and actually going to stay with him. And she told me if, she, if I wanted to join her, and I'm like, of course, you know. So that was incredible because we ended up traveling a little bit in Laos, but then going to this very rural area to meet his family. And having that experience was just amazing because it was it was so personable. And we stayed at his home for like two nights. They cooked for us. They danced for, and sang and shared their stories and their, his experience as a Buddhist monk. So young, you know, he started when he was like 12. Mm-hmm. Told us what, how he saw life. Um, you know, what his beliefs were. Like his perspective as a monk, you know, being on the monasteries, what did they make him do? How was the discipline and the rituals? And it was amazing. I mean, probably one of the best experiences in Laos that I had. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Cambodia. Oh, in Cambodia. Um, so Cambodia, like I said, I went to, uh, I don't know, Cambodia, I really wanted to know about the history. So when I got to Phnom Penh, I went to the killing fields. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's very sad. It's very uh, shocking. Um, so I guess if people don't know about the killing fields, that's where a lot of people got executed during the Khmer regime. And he basically, you know, exterminated like a, a generation. Um, this is why the people that are maybe in their 30s now, their parents passed away mm-hmm. and they survived uh, the war and all that genocide. So the killing fields is basically where they gather all these people, shot them and put them in ditches and just bury them. Uh, so I got to see this place and it, it was sort of traumatic really to, to visit and get to learn about what happened there. But something kind of amazing happened too, is that when I saw the area where they had ditches and where supposedly they found, you know, this is where they found all the bodies. Mm-hmm. At present time, 
you saw pictures of how it was before, right? Which was very horrific when you saw, you know, all the, all the people there and everything. But at this present time, there's grass there now. And what I, what I saw there was kind of magical because there were so many butterflies. Like, I've never seen this in my life. Oh, wow. So many butterflies in that spot. That if people didn't know about the history of what happened there, um, you know, they would have never, they would have thought it was one of the most beautiful places to visit because there's all these butterflies. So I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to see like how life kind of continues, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you have something beautiful in a place where it was like horrific, you know? Right. So, yeah, that was one of the experience. And then the dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That was awful. Uh, that was in, oh, I forget the town. It was a beach town. Um, anyways, I was with a friend that I met also traveling. And no, we just saw this puppy on the ground. And I just kind of pushed it aside so we can pass. And then it came from behind and just bit me right, right in the leg. I mean, it was so fast and it was so aggressive. Oh, wow. Um, so scared because I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this puppy. It looked like a puppy, but it wasn't a puppy. Mm. And got to the hotel I showed the people there but a lot of them didn't know they didn't know English you know they didn't understand so mm-hmm. the only way for me to explain it to them and because they looked at me and they were like what's going on they, and I kept telling them you know dog bit me I need a hospital they didn't understand until mm-hmm. I uh, you know whoa 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 <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. got a tuk-tuk and they sent me right to the hospital <laughs> so, <laughs> the international word for dog wow <laughs> Well, that's a Spanish one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They understood it. Yeah, so they, under- they rushed you to the hospital. Oh, my God. And I was so scared because then my friend was trying to do research on rabies. And I had no idea about anything about rabies. Um, and it's actually very scary. Like, if you don't get treated within 24 hours, you can actually die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went immediately to the hospital. And then the doctor, they were great. They were actually great. And I was surprised because they had nobody in the hospital. I was the only patient. And it wasn't really, it was like a small clinic. Mm-hmm. It was like a small clinic here in the state. And he was great. I mean, they treated me. They gave me a rabies shot. And then I had to get four more rabies shots until I made my way to Spain from, from then. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I think when you told me this story, what was amazing to me was that how much people care for you, even at the, from the play, like even, even though they didn't know you and they kind of help you during a time where, yeah, most people would have been scared, especially being alone in a different country. And and to your point earlier, you're even though you travel alone, you're never really alone. And people will surprise you and rise to the occasion and really be be there for you. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Okay, this is gonna sound strange, but I almost made like a social experiment with my travels in the sense that every time I've traveled. I don't know, because I think I think a lot of misconceptions about traveling people in foreign places, people are scared, you know, people get very scared. And I think, especially in the States, I think a lot of people don't want to travel outside because here we live a very comfortable life. So the thought of going to places where they don't have the proper health care or security and safety just scares people, right? Mm-hmm. But I actually, now that I wanted myself to get harmed or to put myself like in a victim state in different places, but... I kind of did just because I wanted to know, I really wanted to see just exactly what you said, like 
how much are people willing to help when you are so vulnerable in a different country? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I did that a lot, actually. I did that in almost all my trip levels. <laughs> I mean, not nothing where I was put myself, like I hurt myself, but I asked for help. You know, I mm-hmm. always tried to rely on people to help me and I wasn't scared to ask for help. And I wanted to see, you know, like, how would they react? You know, are they really helpful? Or are they really going to give me a cold shoulder and be like, what do you, what do you want? You know, mm-hmm. I really found that, that there's a lot of great, there's like more goodness in this planet, <laughs> like yes. people with bad intentions and especially, um, especially as a traveler. I think that's, I mean, thank God, you know, I've, I've had, I would say actually, actually all of my experience. I've never, fortunately, you know, I know people have had bad experiences, but I've never had a, a situation where I felt threatened and I felt like somebody was going to hurt me. Um, if anything, it's like I might have scared them because of <laughs> like I'm by myself. They don't know my intentions. I'm traveling and mm-hmm. who knows what coming to do. But people have been so generous, so helpful yeah. and willing to go beyond what you would expect to help you, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the things that comes to mind also, like when we were traveling together, because um, so as Carolina mentioned, Australia is very expensive. <laughs> and so there were moments when I think you and I were eating like lettuce and eggs at Costa <laughs> and noodles and noodles uh, on a good day. It was like yogurt and oatmeal. Um but we ended up, I think it was Sydney, where we ended up re- um, sort of like going, reaching out to a couch surfer and we stayed at her home and she made us the most lovely meal. And there it was so, so much food on the table. And her thought process was like, okay, these two girls have been traveling for weeks, are probably on a budget. Australia is expensive. Let me make them a lovely meal. And I think you and I were first weren't sure if the food was for us or if she had like <laughs> visitors because we weren't really eating. <laughs> and then she's like, no, this is for you. And we're like, wow. And so that's just amazing. And like people will have done that and do that. And that's why one of the things I said about travel is that it really restores my faith in humanity whenever I travel. So. A hundred percent. And then also, I think it's good um, because you you do, you are somebody that's personable and I consider myself that way too. I like to reach to people. And that's, I think, important because for you to find that out, you have to try to connect. Otherwise, you're never going to know, right? Like right. how people react or do that. So I think that's key when you travel, especially if you're going to go solo traveling. Uh, part of it is that you have to be willing to put yourself out there to really ask, you know, and ask people to help you and you'll be so shocked like how much they can actually do for you yeah yeah um all right so i think after uh cambodia you went to spain spain and spain was mainly uh family so I didn't... have you been there before oh yeah yeah i went there okay yeah, all right yeah. let's move on to morocco then what <laughs> morocco your former your former life your country and your former life <laughs> uh, oh morocco is amazing so let me give you some information on what happened in morocco um so while i was in spain this is 2015 uh, this is when in france i believe it was the artists that were shot had happened oh right yeah yeah it was during that time so i was in spain when that happened 
And of course, everybody's like high alert. You know, they're like, oh, my God, that the police in, in Spain got, you know, they went, the military actually ended up going to malls in Spain. So they were uh, um, asking people for IDs. I mean, the whole country was in high alert. So when I told my cousin that I wanted to go to Morocco, of course, she was not approving. She's like, please don't go. Please don't go. You're alone. You know, you're women alone in this country. Who knows what's out there? Who knows if you're going to encounter any issues with terrorism or who knows, you know? So she was really scared. But I'm kind of, I mean, when I'm convinced, I'm convinced. So I really, whatever people tell me, I listen, but I still don't. I feel like I need to do. So I told her, listen, if it's my time or something happens, it was meant to be because I really have to go. (laughs) So I left and I went to Morocco. I was a little scared because I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, what if she's right? You know, what if there's some stability in Morocco right now and I'm going in the middle of a country that could have some type of conflict or it's not safe? Um, but no, to my surprise, again, I mean, it was actually amazing. Morocco is such a, like the people there, they thrive on hospitality. They love to treat their guests like they're royalty. And I'll give you an example. So when I went to Ship Shawin, um, <clears throat> there was a lady that, Actually, we, we ended up going, Shoshan is like the blue town uh, north of Morocco. Mm-hmm. Beautiful place. And there's a lot of shops and homes, right? Because people live in this little town. But a lot of their um, the murals and paintings, I mean, it didn't look like homes to me. I thought they were shops. So I went in to one, one of these places that I thought it was a shop, but ended up being somebody's home. So I literally walked in their home. Mm-hmm. And, and the lady that lived there, her name was Fatima. She was totally shocked. She's like, oh, my God, you know, it's like strange. Everyone was walking into her house. I didn't know, you know, so I told her, I'm so sorry. You know, I was leaving. And no, she's like, no, 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 come, come, come. And she introduced herself. She introduced me to her family. Uh, she was cooking sardines with lentils, mm-hmm. father and her kids. And she's like, here, here, come. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. We're like, no, no, no. And I was traveling with two other people that I also met while I was traveling in Morocco. Mm-hmm. And she pushed her baba, her father, out of the couch. <laughs> oh, wow. He was sick. He was sick. But she literally put her, you know, told her baba to, like, just move and or go sit somewhere else so we could sit in her very, you know, small living room. Mm-hmm. And he, the food that she was preparing for her family, she fed all of us. Oh, wow. Which is crazy because we didn't expect that. We didn't want inconvenience. I mean, we felt really bad. We were like, no, no, no. It was an accident. We were trying to come to your house. But she fed us. And then she came and she showed us pictures. She had all these pictures from her family in a, in a purse. She brought this purse and she had all these loose, like, photos. of like, this is my husband. This is my kids when they were born. I mean, she shared her family story with these pictures. And they were all in a purse. And, I mean, it was, it was such a beautiful experience. Um, so when we left, she invited us. This was, like, on a Wednesday, I think. She invited us for Couscous Friday. <laughs> she wanted us to come back and have couscous at her house on Friday. And we insisted. We're like, no, Fatima, that's too much. You know, he already fed us without, you know, we had no expectations. We we're like, this is too much. But she kept insisting. It's like, you have to come. You have to come. So what we did, which is kind of nice, you know, we uh, found a photo album, which is very hard to find in Shashan. We, we looked at so many stores and we could not find a regular photo. Like, we just couldn't find it. And we found this one shop that had a very dusty, like, photo album. So we bought that for her. And then we went to have couscous on Friday. And it was just amazing. Because it's, like, something so simple that here you can go to Target or Walmart, whatever. You can get, like, 10 different photo albums. 
mm-hmm. but just giving her that one photo album, you know, just to say thank you, she was so ex- it was like she won a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how much of a big deal it was. She's like, oh my god, I can't believe this, you know. And it was such an amazing experience. I mean, Morocco, the people there are just so wonderful, so welcoming. Um, in more rural areas, yes, of course, they're more conservative. Um, I wouldn't recommend like a woman to go alone alone. It's better if you find travel partners or go maybe between two women. In a small town, not because you, you're you going to be harmed or anything like that, but it, it might just be a little uncomfortable because they are more conservative. Um, and it's, it's shocking to him to see a woman traveling alone. But again, mm-hmm. I didn't really, I met people along the way, so I ended up traveling with them as I went through Morocco. But yeah, it's just amazing. Oh, I love Morocco. And um, I think if I may ask you to retell this story that you met somebody very important from Morocco oh in your journey. Oh my God, that was amazing. Wow. That Okay, yeah. That one was probably one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Um, so I had a friend that lived in uh close to Casablanca that I had met um and we ended up she ended up inviting me to Agadir to visit with her family and on the way there we stopped at a gas station and we saw a lot of reporters a big group um and this lady that walked in everybody was like talking to her you know I mean some celebrity I didn't know who she was and my friend that's Moroccan she went up you know, she immediately went up to her and tried to talk to her. And then she was sitting talking to her one table. And then she looked at me, and the first thing that she said was, Quechua. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm not Quechua. Sorry, Quinoa. She's like, Quinoa. I'm like, what? And then she, you know, my friend called me over. She's like, come, come, come. And what happened was that this lady was, um, she, she was the first Moroccan Arabic woman to win an Olympic gold medal. So it was a huge deal, not just from Morocco, but like, I think in the uh, Muslim community, Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a big, 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 big deal. Mm -hmm. So she's like a celebrity in Morocco. And um, anyway, she said quinoa because she had been working with the ambassador of Peru to uh, promote, I guess, more trade of quinoa and uh, add that to the diet, like in Moroccan food, you know, which was amazing. Oh, wow. They were working on plans to to um import more quinoa from peru mm-hmm. so when she knew when my friend told her that i'm from peru that's why she's like you know um, <laughs> so, she, like, so she gave you the nickname quinoa <laughs> my nickname was quinoa i was like what that's hilarious <laughs> but anyway so we met up uh she told her my friend told her my story and she asked me she's like well i'm actually going to tarudan which is a very small town up in the mountains and it's a muslim school and they're I'm doing a documentary about my 30-year anniversary since the gold medal. And they want to, that's what she had reporters and the film crew and everybody. She's like, well, if you want, you can come with me. And I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, this is amazing. But my fr- I felt bad because my friend was taking me to her family in Agadir. So she gave her, um, she gave her her card and then we had to go. So we said goodbye. And when I was in the car, my friend told me, he's like, Carolina, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. She's like, if you want to go, just go. But I'm thinking, how am I going to get back? You know, how am I going to come and meet you again? <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, so anyway, so we left 
And then when we were driving and I decided, okay, I think I should do this. You know, I should probably get in the car with him and go. Right. She couldn't find the card. She could not find the card. So we're like, ah, oh, you know, like what a wasted opportunity. But it's okay, you know, if we can't find her. It's like destiny because then maybe 15 minutes down the road, we saw her car next to our. That's too funny. And we waved, we waved her down. We're like, call us, call us. So she called because my friend had given her her number. And mm-hmm. she called us and her whole caravan of like 15 cars stopped at the next rest stop just to pick me up. Oh, wow. And then we went to Teradan and my friend went to Agadir. And I went with her to this experience. And it was amazing because this was the first like few days I was in Morocco. And when we got there, oh, my God, it was so magical. There were so many people lined up, kids, teachers, you know, families. And they, had, they were all dressed in white with candles, with uh, flags of Morocco. They have fireworks. And it was like this huge welcome for her because she did a lot of contribution when it comes to athletics. In Morocco, she's, she was known for that. So it was so beautiful and such a great welcome. And... I mean, I felt like it was part for me too, because <laughs> I was tagging along in the back. <laughs> so I felt like they were also welcoming me into Morocco, and it was such a surreal experience. Absolutely amazing. And she was so wonderful. Um, oh, I'm sorry. And, and throughout the whole stay there, she treated me like a celebrity, which was amazing because I, I had quit my job. I was just traveling. <laughs> but the way, the way she shared my story, um, she was really impressed because she's like, you know, it's not very common here in Morocco for women to travel alone here, just in Morocco. So imagine a traveler coming from another place to come to Morocco and do that, you know? So actually, she shared my story in such a way, like it was a very big deal, you know, to a lot of people in that, in that meeting. And, um, oh, my God, it was just one of the most phenomenal experiences. And I'm still friends with her. Oh, wow. You still keep in touch with her? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, I do have to say that you... You know, based on our travels together and knowing you a bit, you do seem to have the power of connecting quickly with people and and reading their energy and people open up to you really easily. And, you know, they feel comfortable with you and and you feel comfortable with them. And I think it's it's, um, also one of the reasons why, like, all these opportunities open up to you during during your trips. And it's one of the reasons I completely love traveling with you. And I've been trying to convince oh. you to travel again. <laughs> so, yes, we should do like every 10 years. Let's just leave for three months. <laughs> or five years. You don't have to wait 10 years. <laughs> um, so I guess just to wrap it up a little bit, um, looking back into that experience, um, my, one of my quick reflections is like, I was so worried about the finances. I was so worried about what three months away will do to my career. You know what? It did nothing. Exactly. Nothing. It did nothing. And yes, I blew through quite a few thousand, quite a couple thousands of dollars that I had saved, but guess what? I, I made that money again. And, mm-hmm. and it was just so interesting of how much like the financial aspect, the professional, like taking that break from my pr- career was such a worry back then. And I remember telling my dad, you know, this is something I want to do. It's only three months. What do you think? And my dad was like, go do it. Like, go for it. My mom was supportive. 
but I only went for three months and you had a longer, a longer trip and Mm -hmm. a, a longer break from your career. Looking back, what are some of the things that you have gained from that experience? You have learned about yourself and is there anything you would do different? Um, like I said, I think before what I learned is that there's more good in this world than bad. Okay. There's a lot more good and there's a lot of opportunity to connect with people that you couldn't even imagine what kind of life they had. So one thing I, I like to do when I travel is I like to, yeah, visit sites and do all that touristic stuff. That's fun. But I also like to learn about what's happening in their countries and just their perspective in life, you know, where, where they're living and how they view life based on their environment, their history, their culture. So I, I, one of the things I remember, I was like, this is amazing. You know, I went from Bali, which is a Hindu island, right? And I got to see their way of life and the way they live. And then going to Laos and being close to a Buddhist monk, you know, and, and get to see his perspective on life and spirituality and, and everything. And then going to Morocco and having conversations there with just somebody who owned a shop for like three hours about his life as a Muslim 50-something-year-old man in Morocco. So I think one of the best things about traveling is that you kind of open your perspective and view about life in general, because sometimes we just stay in our comfort zone and then we see what we want to see. And even though we know there's like a whole another world out there, we don't really understand unless we have contact with someone else, unless you really put yourself in their environment, in their situation, in their experience, and really understand how they can view things based on what they've grown up with, you know? So that thing, to me, that's one of the most amazing experiences that I had traveling. Um, And then what were the other two questions? (laughs) What have you learned about yourself? Um, I guess that... Yeah, I mean, I had certain fears, but I guess, yeah, I, I I'm, became more fearless as I kept going. <laughs> I, get, I became more fear, fearless, more um, courageous, more trusting. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I think that that just became more um, stronger feeling about who I was, you know, that I... If I were to do this trip again, like anything you do for the first time, you always have a lot of doubts and fears. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though you're excited, you have this like, what are you doing? What's, you know, what's going on or how is it going to turn out? So I think after this whole experience, I just, it just pushed me to become more confident, even more confident. And even here, even coming back, you know, maybe about the career part, when I talked to people, when I finally started to interview again for my job, they asked me, you know, it's like, so... You were gone for seven months. Why did you leave? You know? And I was trying to get a job, you know, trying to interview for a job. And honestly, I didn't feel bad, you know, because I think a lot of people that quit their jobs, so they try to come back to the workforce, they feel like, oh, my God, you know, what are they going to think? You know, I've taken mm-hmm. off. How are they going to take that, you know? But to my surprise, like, personally, I just felt like, listen, this was my life choice. You know, I'm going to work and I'm probably going to work until I need to retire. But if I can do something that I always wanted to do, I'm going to do it because it's my life. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you 
agree with it or not, it's, it's not important because at the end of the day, I have to live my life and I have to do things that I feel are better for me, you know, aside from just the whole career perspective, professional experience. And the people that I interview with actually, I don't know, I saw something like, um, it's almost like they also wanted to do that at one point in their life, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they never had the courage. Mm-hmm. Never had the courage. And they looked at it, instead of looking at it like, oh, well, you know, you wasted seven months or a year or two or whatever. They looked at it like, how did you do that? You know, <laughs> like, I would like to do that too. <laughs> and I ended up encouraging my, my recruiters or my, my, my boss, you know, now that it's my boss, I told him, you know, you could do that too. <laughs> you know? Right. So you, you sort of come back with a new perspective and, and motivate people to just do it if they want to. You know, if they feel like they have to do this journey, go for it because time goes by too quick. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would you do anything differently the second time around? Not necessarily change the first time, but the second time around, would you do anything differently? I think with, with the only thing that maybe now knowing uh, what to expect, especially financially, I think I would prepare better financially just because, again, I didn't expect um, to spend that much money when you went to Australia and New Zealand. Um, so I, I think as far as how I travel and the way I travel, no, because it was such an adventure and I didn't plan too much. And it just, you know, it was very much like spur of the moment. So I, and I enjoyed that. But the financial asset when I came back, and I can share it too. I mean, I spent total with the flights, like $10,000. Mm-hmm. And I think like half of that was like in my credit card. But I ended up, you know, paying it off over time. So I think now knowing how much it is to actually do something like this, I can plan better and really save even more and be more financially prepared. I mean, I think that's the only thing that would change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you so much for letting me interview you for what may be a podcast episode. I'm still in the uh, planning and developing process of of what this could be. And Mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, I want to interview Latinos y Latinas that I think are uh, Orgullo Latinos, like I said, that they're making our community proud and then they're living an extraordinary life, whether it's their personal life, their professional life, and that I think have very unique stories and very exciting stories. And I just want other people, especially younger people, to hear those stories mm-hmm. because you and I did not have access to learn about women like who travel, at least I wasn't exposed to that. If it wasn't for my mother who always encouraged me to travel, I don't think I would have traveled as much as I did. And I thank you so much for sharing your story. (laughs) Really appreciate it. Are you a small business looking to expand your digital footprint? Are you a small business looking to reach more of the Peruvian diaspora in the United States? Consider sponsoring an episode of Peruvians of USA. Peruvians of USA has launched its first sponsorship program. If you're interested, please visit peruviansofusa.com slash sponsors or send us a message on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. 
If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.